Hi, I'm Stacey Shoemaker-Rowan, Editor-in-Chief of Hospitality Design Magazine with HD's What I've Learned podcast. Throughout his career, self-made entrepreneur KJ Hughes has proven himself and his versatility, working as an event promoter, founding an athletes and entertainers agency, and through his latest venture, the Snarkitecture Design Manifest. A first-of-its-kind hybrid concept, Manifest houses a speakeasy, barbershop, coffee bar, and retail space all in one. No matter the project or its challenges, Hughes never takes no for an answer, powered by an inspiring sense of perseverance to turn his diverse dreams into reality. As Hughes says, anything is possible. Hi, I'm here with KJ. KJ, thanks so much for joining us today. How are you? I'm well, I'm well, I'm well. Thanks for having me. Thanks for asking me to come back on. Yes, I'm excited. So, all right, we always start at the beginning. Where did you grow up? I grew up in uptown Washington, D.C. Um, born and raised in the 80s. I'm an 80s baby. Um, this was uh, a time when D.C. was, um, where there was two tales of the tape, I guess. You know, there was, there's, there's always this political side of D.C. and then there's, um, you know, the, the local side of D.C. And, um, I grew up in a neighborhood that literally was a stone throws away from, the, the, the capital. I grew up uh, first in Bryant Street in Northwest. Um, my grandmother was one of the first to integrate, you know, the local high school. So we're probably third generation uh, Washingtonians, which is hard to find these days in Washington. Um, you know, upbringing was was the classic story. You know, I think in in, in regards to you know um, you know where I grew up and. And at the time that I grew up, um, um, so yeah, that's, that's, you know, DC is home. I love it. I love everything about it. It's, it's kind of, you know, it's just made me and, and I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be in the city doing some productive things. Right. And we'll get back to that in a second, but, um, your mom was a beautician, right? Yep. 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 My mom was a hairstylist in the eighties. Um, she worked at a hair salon called Shelton's Hair Gallery, which at the time was, um, I'd say the, uh, I don't know any other famed hair salons, but it was the place, right? It was, it was, um, you know, athletes' wives and, uh, you know, Patty LaBelle and Gladys Knight. And, um, you know, the who's who during that time would um, frequent the salon. Um, on Connecticut Avenue. Connecticut Avenue is, is, uh, was at the time DC's version of Fifth Avenue, right? You had all the department stores and, and it was, uh, you know, rich. So to have a salon there was like a, uh, second floor, um, salon. So it wasn't street facing, had to get buzzed in. It was, it was, it was, you know, it was a place. It was a place to, to be. Yeah. Um, and so that was the first time I, some of the first money I ever made was in that salon, sweeping hair, running errands for the for the for the stylists, um, and keeping their change, of course. <laughs> um, but yeah, that that place was. I mean, when you say street smarts and, and, and how I, you know, kind of started to maneuver or learn how to maneuver, you learned a lot there, right? It was. I mean, this was like I said, this was eighty. So yeah, I might have been six years old, seven years old, right? So this is 86, 87. 
Um, and, you know, this is my first time meeting, you know, gay and lesbian folks and first time, you know, seeing, you know, Connecticut, I said Connecticut Avenue was, 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 was the ritzy spot. So this is where I would see life, you know, right. different from where we lived and different from where we grew up, you know? So, um, very influential. Yeah. And what did your dad do? Uh, my dad was an unsuccessful criminal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was an unsuccessful criminal, went to jail, um, when I was, um, in 1982. Um, okay. I think when I understood, you know, well, I think I might have been in my teens when I understood what, what the word legacy really meant, you know, and how hard my mom was pushing me. I think, um, yeah, I think it is. I think it does. I think it is a driver, especially now that I have kids. It's definitely a, a major driver um, because, you know, all it takes is one in a generation to change your family's last name, you know what I mean, to change the history of your family. And so, um, you know, I, I think I, I think I'm the one. <laughs> and um, yeah, but for for sure, there's no doubt that you know my upbringing is you know why I am who I am today. You know what I mean? The sacrifices of my mom moving me out of that community and taking the risk, um, not knowing a soul and saying, "Hey." You know, the world doesn't look like this. I want to move you to a place that more resembles the world. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and not knowing how to navigate that space on our own, you know, having me at 20 years old, you know, me and my mom grew up together, you know, so to speak, you know, and so, um, I think, you know, she was wise beyond her years in making some of the sacrifices that she made to expose me to some of the things that she's exposed me to that ultimately, you know, created this kind of wealth of wealth of knowledge, you know, that didn't come from a book. Yeah. So where did she move you out to? So we moved about uh, not far, 10, maybe 10, 12 miles outside of the city to uh, Silver Spring, Maryland, which is um, not far from the University of Maryland. Um, it's just a suburb um, of Washington, D.C., so it's not far whatsoever, right? So we were always back and forth um, into the city. She worked in the city. We went to church in the city, but grandmother lived in the city but you know we were still back and forth but my everyday comings and goings in terms of school was now um very much uh diverse right so you know she's like i'm not i can't put you in public school system in this town you know in in this, the public school system resembles the community and you know the kid and so she understood the proximity that I was, you know, um, my, my, you know, my father was a criminal. My grandfather was, 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 uh, passed away early in his life through, you know, affiliation with, with, um, you know, the, the, the underworld. And, and so she knew that I was too close, you know, and I think, you know, criminality is, is, it's something you learn from, from community. I think you can have, I think there are brilliant criminals, right? I think there are some criminals who was like, if you grew up in a different place at a different time, you would be Steve Jobs. You know what I mean? Or you would be, you know, whomever. And so I think she understood that at a very young, at when I was a really young age, that you have the ability to use this power for good. And so 
let me put something around you. Let me, you know, harness that in a, in a different way. Okay. So, so you moved out to Silver Springs and did you, you ended up going to college nearby or what did you end up doing? So after high school, I went to Rutgers University, um, got out to New Jersey in a turnpike and I spent about um, a good 18 months in New Jersey. You know, what I wanted to do is uh, when I was in high school, I threw parties in high school. It was pretty, you know, popular. And we, uh, a friend of mine was a DJ. Another friend was a photographer. Another friend had an empty basement and his mom traveled all the time. And so, you know, we had a nice little partnership. Um, and we were throwing house parties in, you know, 10th, 11th grade. I mean, making money, you know, making good money. Um, and so I chose Rutgers, um, because I wanted to be close to New York City. You know, I wanted to be in the hospitality industry, the nightclub industry. And I said, Hey, what better way to be, you know, close to, you know, New York, you know, hotels, restaurants, nightclubs, you know, I, I hadn't yet put it all together that restaurants and hotels were a part of quote unquote hospitality just yet. I just wanted to be in nightclubs, you know, and I knew that some of the best nightclubs were in New York. And so, um, you know, I chose Rutgers to be in that proximity, you know, learned to pass train really quickly. And, and, you know, I spent, you know, a little bit too much time in New York and not enough time on campus. Um, and also when I, I you know, my last, the, the only job I've ever had in my life is at Blockbuster in 1996, 97. And I was, I was a manager and I was making $15 an hour at that point. That's good money in 1996-97. So what were you what were you doing? What were some of those early like lessons learned and trials and errors that you were that you were doing? Were you still like doing I mean, parties or were you do did you go into other things? Yeah, so we so the parties turned and this is where I started to learn about, you know, um you know, vertical growth and, and lateral growth and insight. So we had this ecosystem of, of parties, right? So we were throwing six or seven parties a year. I'm sorry, a week. Sorry. We were throwing six or seven parties a week. And at the height, we were doing twenty, thirty thousand dollars a week. Um, you know, net, you know, uh, we, we, I didn't know about a PL and a balance sheet at the time. You know, we were, um, really just working, 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 working our asses off, you know, and trying to be best. Um, and D.C. was a city that was segregated by race and age in terms of nightclubs at the time, right? So you had just this 21 and over, kind of mature and grown, and they used to call it grown and sexy. <laughs> they had that club crowd, and that was, you know, we were 20 years old at the time, or I was 20, a couple of my buddies, they, they stayed in college because they were local. And so then we spun off and created a marketing company that allowed us to now use right those email addresses and that influence of these parties to then sell and use to market other things. So we had record, I mean, we had contracts with record labels, we had contracts with movie houses, and we were using, you know, we, we had big time contracts with Universal and Paramount. And so we would have this very, you know, kind of big but influential group of folks. Now, this is before I knew Gen Z and X and demographics and all. I just knew I was cool and I knew a bunch of people. So, <laughs> and if you want your movie filled up, yeah, come see us and we can fill up your movie premiere. Or if you want your album sold or you want this new artist to 
be in front of whomever. Yeah, we got 2,000 people that come here every Sunday. Bring me, you know, bring me Tweet or bring me Pharrell or bring me whomever this new person is. Ludicrous. And yeah, put them on stage. And, you know, let's figure out what type of check you can give us. <laughs> you know, like, and this is, again, not sitting down with any formal business plan or, or anything, you know. Um, and we were able to be successful there. Um, and then uh, one of our major, the biggest nightclub that we had, we ended up losing our lease. And the city took that as imminent domain. And they built an arena. And everything came crashing down, right? So that's where life got really real. Um, And so, you know, that's where I think think some of, yeah, that's where, that's kind of where things started to pivot. Yeah. But that didn't stop you, right? Because you went on to kind of continue in that world of entertainment and sports, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So what right there was, Kind of like I said, this this another kind of crossroads period where I had to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is some of those lessons that we took from trial and error that were expensive, right? It's like, okay, you know people, you have influence, you have made some money. What can you do with all of that? You know what I mean? And again, I think we, we learned from watching folks from afar but never really had any strong mentor. That's why I try to, I try to be, you know, I think I read somewhere, I've seen somewhere, you know, be who you needed when you were that age, right? And I think I try to be that now, like way more, even some, even to probably a detriment where folks are like, I didn't ask you for your advice. Well, I'm telling you anyway, because I see you and you're kind of hot and you're doing your thing. But like, and I've done that, I've cold called like 20 somethings and 30 somethings and like hey i heard about you and i see you doing your thing do you have a you know do you have a relationship with the banker do you know this person do you have a cpa you know where you at it and people are like man i don't even know you get out my business you know but later on it's like damn I, I i'm glad you asked me those questions you know so at that time we you know i didn't have any of that so i wasn't really prepared to to pivot um, but again, watching and learning and, and losing and learning, um, you know, we were able to make, or I was able to make this pivot into, um, sports and entertainment, um, through, you know, a little bit of, of luck and pre- I think it's preparation. I also think it's, it's a little luck involved, you know, and so, oh, five, oh, four, oh, five, um, you know, there was a kid coming out of college who used to come to our parties and he's like, they say I can get drafted in the, in the, you know, uh, top round in the NFL. Do you know anybody that can help me kind of navigate their process? And of course, you know, we know, well, I know a lot of people, I knew agents at the time. I knew other people that were in the league. I knew, but then I'm like, well, shit, I know how to read. <laughs> <laughs> I can do that. And I, I know how to, you know, I, I'm, I, I can maybe I can help you liaise, there, you know. Um, and yeah, he gave me a shot. Um, I don't know if he really gave me a shot or whether I kind of just took the bulls on by the horn and said, "Look, trust me, you know I got you, young and come, you know, follow me." Um, he ended up getting drafted really high, and and you know, and and we were successful in kind of guiding his career and getting him some 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 endorsements and introducing the right people, and you know, he became a big star and. 
you know, from there, a couple other guys said, hey, I want you to do the same thing for me. And then, you know, it's kind of this agency was born and, and we were able to, you know, kind of slowly put together, um, you know, a good roster of folks who believed in the way that we did business and, and you know, liked, you know, kind of, I think, the risk taker attitude and, and, and really what I started to understand was there was a lot of people in that business that, that didn't look like us and didn't move the way we moved. And I think that there was a, a level of comfort knowing, okay, you know, I, I got some folks around me that really care about me that's from my same hometown or whatever the case may be. Um, but you know, it didn't get rocky until, until you started to become a competitor with those guys. And then now all shots seemed fired, right? Now, you know, I was, as opposed to being described as kind of the, uh, you know, local way maker or, or, you know, somebody that's just grind or bootstrapped or whatever, right? Those things now are used against you when you start playing with big boys and you start, and you start, you know, I remember our first time going to LA going into what would have become, you know, a competitor's office. And it's like, you know, you're on Wilshire, 20 some floors, it's a hundred of you guys. And, you know, you know, and, and I can remember later on that same person who I was trying to come and refer a client to, you know, describing me as, you know, just some guy from DC, like that didn't graduate college and, you know, one of those hustlers. Yeah. Right. It's like really quickly hustler went from like a, a, a compliment to this negative connotation, you know what I mean? Really fast. And so that was a big rude awakening for me. Um, and, and let me know, Hey, you know, you can play the game, but the game is rigged and the game is not really made for you. Um, and not you, not me as me, but. Me as I think as a, as what I started to understand was me as a black man, right? It was like some of these levels are different and they play different. And so, you know, that, that was, that was both, you know, it was anguish because it's, you know, at the time I had long locks and, you know, I was just authentic me. Mm-hmm. And there was a period of time when that, when when that wasn't a good strategy, quite honestly. And that's tough, right? That is really tough to sit down and say and have to think about like strategically how do you present yourself? I don't think there's a lot of people that, you know what I mean, that understand what it's like to be a black man in some of these worlds that aren't our worlds, right? And, and so, you know, you start overcompensating certain things, like make sure your car is nice. And I had a, I had a family one time ask to see my credit report. <laughs> like a, a black family too. Like, you know, because you start, when you get into that world, it's like everybody else that are, that are in the same position as me don't look like me. Right. Don't talk like me. Don't dress like me. Don't come from my background. And so, you, you, you know, this is where a lot of what we talked about when our nephew comes into play. It's like, it's important to see yourself in certain places, in certain positions, right? We don't come up seeing a lot of black doctors on TV, black lawyers, accountants, uh, right? We don't see that image. And so the world doesn't see that image. So when you do see 
or you come across, even as when it's time to hire somebody, it's like, eh, you don't fit the, eh, because for 30 years on the news and the newspaper, on this TV show, on that TV show, it hasn't been any black lawyers or black accountants or black whomever, right? And so and that's where it starts to get a little rough. And so I think there was a period in my late 20s, you know, to early 30s where I'm not going to say I had an identity crisis, but I think that's where, you know, that missing, you know, missing a father figure in the household. That's when things, right, I, I started to really understand Okay, you have to try to seek out some of these. You gotta, you know, you gotta balance this out somewhere. So, um, you know, it took a lot of reading and, you know, a lot of talking, a lot of admitting, you know, hey, you know, th- th- this is what I'm trying to do. This is what, uh, you know, uh, I want to accomplish. And this is some of the, uh, hurdles that I'm coming up against. And, and, you know, ultimately what I decided in like early, you know, probably 10 years ago is, you are frustrated because you're trying to play a game that wasn't ever meant for you to play at that level. So stop playing. Stop playing the game according to their rules. Stop even showing up, right? Take your ball and go home. And I think it's been the last 10 years where, you know, I started to understand how to create spaces and how to create moments and how to create memories that are authentic to not only just who I am, but authentic to people and not, you know, um, you know, one thing or one or, 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 or you know, it, it just needed to be deconstructed, you know? And I think that's where my level of hospitality really, really stems from um, is it is, it's the kindness mm-hmm. of the simplest things that can change the trajectory of your day. Right, a good morning cup of coffee and a good conversation can can really pep you up. And 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 for me, I found it to be very inspiring. Right, to hear the stories of you know the the waiter or waitress or the maitre d or the the shoe shiner at the the, the Union Station or the right to have this conversation to to for. But what it's worth, I'd say they were my mentors. Right. Right? The places that you frequent on a regular basis where they know your name and I know their names and, and you have these conversations and I ask questions. You, I mean, one of my favorite places was, you know, uh, a hotel bar, low solo. You know? Like that person is whomever. Maybe immigrant. Maybe you know, a, a young person, you know, that that's just moved to New York or moved to L.A. and is moonlighting and trying to find their way in Hollywood. They're from Nebraska and they give you a different story. Or, you know, the sometimes it's the owner and, you know, somebody called out. And uh, it's it. I mean, you would be surprised the conversations and the depth of conversations that I've had with complete strangers all in the name of hospitality. Right. That's how powerful this industry is. And that's what really, really made me fall in love with it. And so when did you decide to leave the career you had and pivot and create Manifest? Um, I haven't left that career. Um, okay. I, I slowed, you know, slowed down my, uh, you know, I don't deal with any new clients. 
Um, you know, the firm still exists. My partners, okay. um, you know, still handle the things they need to handle, um, with regard to our current clients. Um, but I'm, uh, I'm just not taking any new clients. Um, and manifest became clear. Um, I'd say 2018 ish, right? Where it was clear that I wanted some sort of a brick and mortar. Um, because I wanted to be more influential. I wanted to give back some of those moments and memories and feelings that I had, uh, had, um, experienced through my, right, 10, 12 years of traveling and all-star weekends and, and, you know, World Cup and Super Bowls and all these, you know, the top restaurants in the world and the top hotels in the world and, you know, this person's yacht and that person, the helicopter from here and that, I wanted to, and again, as a plus one, you know, I would never, I think that was also a part of it too, is like, I knew, you know, during that time when we, when I was just explaining my late twenties, early thirties, you know, I didn't just sit back and mope, right? I do, I went and did the work. I said, okay, I see how this game is played. I went back and got my undergraduate degree on a entrepreneurship scholarship, graduated from the University of Maryland with a management degree. Went right back and got an MBA. And the summer, right after I finished my MBA, the University of Maryland um, offered me a position to be a professor, to teach sports and entertainment. So all within six years, seven years, um, I got all the things that they, you know, that they that they knocked me down for, for the previous two. And again, it was, I learned a ton. So, you know, the earlier version of me in my 20s, like, ah, fuck school. I don't need that. And, but it, it, that was me hating. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Quite honestly. Um, school absolutely has been influential. Um, not just actual information that I didn't know, but the process of navigating the regulatory things of college is the same as when I had to open this place, right? The, the constituency, understanding stakeholders and understanding that just because you go in and kick and scream and whatever, yeah, the class is full, sir. <laughs> Nothing you can do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? And so I think it's just little lessons like that. Even at, you know, I think I graduated undergrad at 31. Even at that big age, it's like I still needed to be a part of these formal processes and formal systems. And I, th I think bigger than anything for me was culturally college is influential, right? The culture of college is something that you need. It's just the, 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 the stick to itness, right? Mm -hmm. Of this shit is hard as hell. Add drop date is coming up. What am I do? Yeah. You gonna drop it? You gonna quit? You know what I mean? And so I think that is something that a young person really needs to understand is life is tough. What you going to do, though? What are you going to do? You're going to sit it out every time it gets tough? Right. Or you're going to push through and you're going to push through and get to see, right? And live with it and understand that, okay, maybe you went out a little too much that semester or maybe you didn't put the work in and live with it and then go back the next semester and fix it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I think you need that. And so... Um, you know, 
during that time, that's what I did. You know, I leveled up, leveled up, and uh, and and that's what I tell a lot of people. It's like, yeah, you don't like the way it's being played, then you know, change up a little bit. You know what I mean? But keep working at yourself and and keep growing and keep grinding. So, um, yeah, that 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 takes us up to you know eighteen or so, and it's like I was just tired of. I was tired of being a guest in 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 that world. You know what I mean? Because right, I was gonna say, it sounds there are fabulous, glamorous moments that you just rattled off. So, but I guess you were always the guest, right? Or always the plus one, right? And 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 even as the plus one, you know, whatever celebrity or or, or, or you know athlete or whomever that I was with. A lot of they were the plus one too, right? They were guests as well in this space, right? Because now you're looking now they were the spectacle, right? And and I recognized that I recognized that very early on when you know I went to owner of the NFL team's house with a top draft pick, and he introduced me as his homeboy. I don't three piece suit. You know what I mean? And this guy still owns a team today. And so, you know, I, I, I recognize that there are a lot of spaces that we occupy that are not meant for us. And, or, or not, I'm not going to say meant, that weren't made for us and weren't created with us in mind. And that became really a, a reoccurring, you know, kind of theme in my head is, now I would go places and I would see culturally, like, you know, what's happening, you know? And so the, the commonality that I saw is a lot of places didn't necessarily welcome or, or didn't invite our business per se, but loved our culture. Yeah. Loved the music, loved, right? The, the, and so I happened to be on that side, the celebrity side of that. So they loved that. But then, uh, frequenting those places, you know, outside of the celebrity realm as just a regular person, it wasn't the same treatment. It wasn't the same experience. Um, and so the more and more I talk to folks, especially athletes and entertainers, um, and, and just black people, brown people, gay, lesbian folks who all understood and all admitted that as I've become more successful, as I've gained more ability to travel, more education, more experience, I've noticed that I walk into these spaces not as myself because I know they don't want me as myself, right? So I end up showing, this is a subconscious thing, that we show up as these, as a guest, mm -hmm. right? And I'm like, that's not fair, you know? Um, and so I started to ask people, you know, what is luxury for you? You know, what are, what, what, what are some experiences that you've had that, you know, have brightened your day, that have changed your mood, that have made you a better person? Um, and it, you know, the, of course, the, it was stories from, you know, the, the time that they went on some magical, you know, once-in-a-lifetime thing. But most of it was just ran the regular run of the meal stuff. 
mm-hmm. you know, dinner at your favorite space, you know, a, a good night's sleep at your favorite hotel. Um, and then COVID hit. And that's when I think I really understood. Um, so we bought this building in 19, right prior to COVID. Um, and the idea was just to create a barbershop, but make it upscale and integrated. Because everywhere I went in the world, the barbershop was a black barbershop, white barbershop, gay barbershop, you know, lesbian barbershop, like all over the world. It was like that. And, uh, and then the idea of the luxury barbershop always, most, most likely was always the white barbershop, right? Um, one of them I went to in the basement of a hotel and two chairs, they offer you whiskey, uh, you know, uh, when you walk in, but they got a black man in there who's trying to shoot us. And I'm like, I, I understand the aesthetic. I get it. But it's not luxury. If this is this is this is Queen Elizabeth's luxury, but okay. this is not. This is this is 2015 or something, yeah. right? And so I'm like, how can you know? Uh, from and then now let's reverse gears a little bit to like just being an entrepreneur and, and and just the business of that and understanding some of the teachings. Um, I went to a. What is it called? How I built this with Guy Raz was live at Lincoln Theater. And the guest was, um, the guy who created Bevel. Um, I forget his name, uh, off the top of my head. Um, and he said he had been working for Andreessen Horowitz. Um, he was a Stanford, you know, grad MBA or something. He was artist in residence or entrepreneur in residence at Andreessen Horowitz. He had been beating his head up, you know, against the wall trying to figure out the next big thing. And he kept coming up with ideas that were um, great businesses and great business models, but that he knew nothing about the industry, right? And then he said, you know what? I finally realized that the thing that I'm going to create is going to be something that inherently I'm able to pull off. I'm able to tackle with, with what I know, with what my experiences are. And it was almost like God himself like <laughs> blessed us with this opportunity because I'm Come from a hairstylist, grew up in a salon. No, I'm not a barber, but this was this is the first time of all the businesses that I've ever started where I truly feel that I am putting all of my gifts and all of my experiences into this recipe bucket. And I mean, people come in all the time and they're like, I just can't believe how much detail you put into it. And and it's like, these are not missing pieces. These aren't pieces that were abstract. These were, we whiteboarded everything that goes into how do you make people feel good, right? How do you sell gladness? How do you sell joy? And... You know, we, we looked at hotels, we looked at restaurants, we looked at nightclubs. A lot of times we looked at what not to do, <laughs> right? There was no real shining star who was doing it absolutely great. Um, but we took little pieces from, 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 from each of those, uh, industries and we, you know, we, we said, okay, how do you take the thing that people need, right? A haircut and make it convenient with, Right, saving time, 
And then how do you serve that up in a way that might change somebody's day? Yeah. And, and, and then that's, you know, and then the, the day manifest, I mean, people fought me on it because it was like, Oh, it's too deep. Is it just, you have to explain it all the time. And I'm like, but what are you doing if you're not right? What are you doing every day? Okay. Oh, anyway, if you, whether it's your cup of coffee, whether it's whatever ritual that you have, you know, all you're trying to do and all we're trying to do, and this was, this was straight from the pandemic. All we're trying to do is just be our best self. And, and if you can play a part in that, if you're a part of the cast on that day, uh, we just trying to manifest our best self. And, and I think as we, as I've gotten older, I want to take less chances at that. Right. Nice. And I think that's what we get into. When you think about your grandma and you think about, you know, even your mom and dad, it's like, why y'all keep going to the same place over and over again? Right. And it's like, like because I, I'm too old to be risking <laughs> a bad experience. Exactly. <laughs> you know, um, the delis that you go to. And this is where some of those, you know, those businesses last for two two or three generations, you know, the pizza parlor that you might have worked at. And then also, you know, your daughter might work at or your, you know what I'm saying? It's like those places exist in communities. And that's what we wanted to do. We wanted to be a community driven space that, you know, was built to, to enhance, right? Your life and not take away anything, right? We, that's one of the things we say all the time is I want to put you onto something. I want people to leave here full. Either I gave you some new piece of information, I put you onto a new brand, you know, I, I had whatever, you know, conversation we had, it, you know, highlighted your day. I want you to leave here full. Mm -hmm. And that's the perfect exchange, I think, for time. And I think once you are able to create that and do that, I think it's priceless. I think that's where the membership comes in. I think that's where other opportunities to open more manifests come in. I think, you know, we're at a place where as long as we stay true to delivering world-class experiences, I think the sky's the limit. Okay. And so... Was it the building that spoke to you? So you had this idea and then you, the build, so was it the building first and then the concept evolved when you saw the building and COVID or did you, you know, what came first and <laughs> how did you evolve it? And, you know, how did you? My, so Eric, um, Eric Jackson, who was my barber, you know, for the last six years prior, um, really, I, I want to say, I mean, between, you know, my experience again in the salon growing up mm -hmm. and Eric's service, the right. way, the attention to detail, how passionate he was about it, how he, you know, voiced, of course, you and your barber have a good relationship and, you know, should I see my barber more than I see my doctor? Um, you know, him being a gay man, um, him expressing to me, like, I don't have a lot of straight male clients, black straight male clients. He's like, I don't know what that means, you know, what that's about. Right. Um, you know, he's like, you're different. And, and, you know, I want to, uh, you know, I, I, I want to bring back the art of barbering just over the course of six years, all of the conversation that, you know, he and I had plus all of the, you know, experiences I was having in life. I think it was just a, it, it was a, a marriage made in heaven where I'm like, well, Eric, let's just open a barbershop and let's make it really luxury. 
and let's make it a place that people can come and get a quality haircut, you know, and that's not segregated. I think it started there. It started right there where he could feel safe and comfortable working in a barbershop as a gay black man. And, you know, people could feel safe and comfortable coming into a space being uh, serviced by a white woman or a gay white man or, uh, you know, a lesbian woman or an Asian American or, uh, right? I think that's where it really started is I believe that experience and, and, and luxury and, and, and providing a quality of things will trump any of the things. And so that's where it started. And um, the space is literally right around the corner from where he worked. I mean, literally less than a mile, like less than three minute walk. Yeah. Um, and so I parked one day in front of this space that was a salon that had a four lease sign in front of it. Um, and I called, uh, I called him and was like, have you seen this space around the corner? Um, he was like, no. Um, and I'm like, if you're free, walk over here. He walked over. Um, and we both called separately and like got our own tour, you know, and see, make sure he wasn't, you know, tell him one price and tell me another price. And, and so, um, and so we toured it maybe that week. This is probably May of 2019. Um, and the rest, you know, the rest gets rocky (laughs) before it gets better, but yeah. Um, you had some challenges, right? (laughs) The rest gets very rocky. Uh, so of course I, you know, again, I can't do anything small, you know, the barbershop would have been too easy, uh, in just the barbershop. But I think again, I was, uh, at the time I was getting my MBA, so everything in MBA is like value driven and data driven and you like, how do you provide value? Make sure you provide value. So I'm taking that essence at the same time. I'm getting my MBA at 19 and I'm building this at 19. So at the same time, I'm like, we got to provide more value, more. We got to do more. <laughs> so we have to put, you know, we have, while they're waiting, they they don't need to be twiddling their thumbs. We need to do coffee. We need to get them a drink. We need to, hopefully, like I wanted to put massage chairs upstairs and everything. So ultimately, you know, uh, it had to bring it back to what's culturally relevant, right? What can we, uh, what can I um, what can I accomplish, right, within my network? Um, and so that's where my two partners come in. Um, my other two partners, uh, Susan Morgan and, and, and Brian Merritt, both from Chicago, both I've known since, you know, early 2000. Um, Susan went to Howard. Uh, Brian was, uh, the husband of, uh, one of my really good friends who went to Howard. Um, and, he had all of the retail experience and Susan is a VP of new business at um, a very large advertising agency. So she had all of the marketing and branding experience. Right. And so I'm like, Hey guys, we, you know, I got this barbershop idea, but I think we should do a big. Um, and, you know, Brian was like, oh, you know, the boutiques are not really, they're dying. You know, the internet is taking everything. And then when I told him, I'm like, no, but they have this upstairs space and, and we can make it a speakeasy. He was like, oh, I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> liquor? He's like, liquor sale. I'm in. <laughs> I'm in. I'm in. And so 
Um, you know, he focused on the retail and making sure that we can get quality brands. Susan focused on all of our branding and really how to tell the story of all of these things in one, right? How to tell it, um, yeah, how to tell it in a way that is, is not dismissive and it's not divisive, right? And I think that's where, I mean, she is really, really brilliant in making sure that we don't speak to one part of the business. If you look at our Instagram, look at our website, every part of the business gets its equal shine, right? And we don't, we very rarely, um, when we talk about ourselves, we very rarely talk about it as a barbershop or as a coffee shop or as a retail space because the consumer likes to put things in boxes, right? right? And so, um, you know, our the way that we've been able to just, you know, hone in on work, 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 let the people talk is, is it's been really, you know, it's, it's, it's been working. It's been working. We had, you know, 10,000 followers on Instagram in less than a year, all organic. You know, we have um, upwards of 250 or so members um, and, and, you know, all less than a year. Um, we're, we're doing incredible in terms of you know just feedback and exactly what we wanted it to be which was this place of influence right where uh black and brown people and 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 some of the some of the folks who are oftentimes missing when things are being built come in and say i this is a place for me and (laughs) that's been you know and that's gay straight lesbian black Brown, you know, and it, and I've been in here and I've seen exactly what I wanted to see in certain hotel brands, right? And and it's like we have something, and it gets me emotional sometimes because it's like I've when you're when you're an entrepreneur and you are building so many different things, especially coming from where I come from, you know it. It, it's it's really it's really defining when I think when 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 God aligns you with with your purpose, that is something that you I, it's indescribable, you know. No, it must be, and, and and I know it was a labor of love, right? What do you think was the most challenging obstacle? I mean, besides COVID, um, to open your doors. Um, the the permitting. And 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 licensing portion of any business, it's it's more expensive and and harder than even the best advice. So we almost got literally at the twenty fifth hour, almost got tripped up. They wanted us to build a wall between the barbershop and the coffee shop. They wanted to be two separate spaces completely because of the health code. Um, that's one. Then you got stakeholder engagement. We are in a predominantly white neighborhood, predominantly, you know, I'd say 40s, 50s and above, um, in, a, in an area of D.C. called Adams Morgan, which is three blocks from where the Obamas live. And, you know, it's 
a very nice area. It's a very affluent area. Um, but we are one of three mixed-use buildings within this largely residential community. So we are zoned commercial. And yep. we can have commercial activities along with a bar. Okay. <laughs> but uh, over their dead bodies. <laughs> they <laughs> protested every step of the way. So another lesson here is understand that the what is it? The, the regulatory space right. is a space of patience. It's not a space to take things personal, although there will be personal attacks. Um, you have to stay steady and get try to get ahead of the curves, right? Find a stakeholder who right has bought into what you are doing. Um, if you are a member of the community in which you're trying to open a business, that's even better. Um, if not, either partner with or find some sort of friend that is going to help, right? Because you come into a lot of these communities and they have a great deal of influence and they don't have nothing but time. This was during COVID. They were writing letters. They were doing everything they could to stop this 30-seat speakeasy because there's a chance that it could be too rowdy or... It's gonna invite the you know the, the 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 people who shouldn't be in the community in the community, and I mean it's a lot of that talk. And so, um, you know, be poised, and um, you know, hire your professionals and let your professionals do some of the fighting for you. Right? We ended up having to pay. I would like to say twenty times what it should have cost. For our liquor license proceedings, mm. twenty times more, all because the community wanted to control the type of business that we were going to run, the hours of operation, and put some other you know restrictions on, um, yeah, what time we can you know have it, what type of music we can play, like all of these things. And that may be, you know, that may be exclusive to D.C. I'm not sure. But so all my entrepreneurs out there that want to open brick and mortar spaces, and I'm sure it's like that for, you know, hotels and designs and, and, and all that. It's like you can draw something up, but if it doesn't pass code, you know, or if you need all this constituent buy-in, um, you know, it's, it's, it's an uphill battle, but um, it, it can be done. And don't let the hurdles deter you because if we weren't, if this place didn't look like this, if it was designed different, it would, it, it wouldn't be the same. It wouldn't feel the same. It wouldn't be the same. So I have text messages from the previous owner of the building. Who's like, who lived on the street. And he was like, Oh, once you go for your liquor license, you will never get it. You'll never win in this community. Um, and it, it, it like just press on. You know, like, you yep. know, you're, it's like that meme I've seen where two people are, you know, swinging the, 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 the rake or whatever you trying to find the diamond. And one person stops short of like that last brick that you got to bust to find it. It's like, you know, when, when they keep telling you to think small, 
stay on your course, especially us, especially, you know, as, as a black entrepreneur, there are too many gatekeepers that are telling us, no, not so big. No, don't dream so big. Start out with just a little teeny barbershop. Don't do all, don't do coffee. Don't worry about the bar. Oh my God, are you spending that type of money on just a barbershop? Oh, don't do that. Right? It's like, this is why you don't see our spaces get the same. This is why we don't get the same type of opportunities because quite honestly, it's too. The bank, the bank tells you that. The, you know, the landlord, the GC, the, the guy down at the, at the permit department, the everybody. Right. Like, you know, that you're encountering. I'm not saying everybody, but a lot of times these people don't, they don't represent the same thing you represent. They don't come from where you come from. And so they can't see it in their eyes. They can't see you making it because they ain't never seen you make it. They've never seen anybody like you. And so that's why I tell people all the time, it's like, I'm different. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. different. <laughs> I'm different. If you, if, if you, if you don't know, now you know. <laughs> I'm different. Well, and I, you know, I know you said it wasn't personal, but this was very personal to you. You know, this was something that meant the world to you. So I, did that add to your drive? Like, you know, and also kind of proving everyone wrong in a sense, like, you know, that we can do this to open up a door for somebody else down the road. Right. It was always to show that black businesses don't need to be in a category of black businesses. Right. I'm, I, like I, I, uh, being the best black owned business is, is fine, but no, we, I want to be compared to hair cutting and, and, you know, Starbucks and whatever, you know, speakeasy there. Like I want, you know, and, and, and we look up and, you know, in 10 months and we, we, you know, city paper voted us the best barbershop. They voted us runner up for best boutique and they wrote it as voted us top five and best bar in the whole city less than a year old, right? So that's what it was like. What we wanted to do was say, this is not a, right? You don't, this is not a, an anomaly. You give me the resources, not just me, but us. If we, if we have the resources, if we have the support, if, 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 you know, if there's fair and equity lending, if there's, if I can have access, like my second location that we want to open is four times the size. We have an LOI on the table right now. And, it's going to cost probably two times what this costs, right? Right? If we can get the money and get access to the things we need, resources, we can be successful. Right. <laughs> right? And I think that the more and more you see these businesses and the more and the more that people can look to and say, I know him. He's like me. That's where you start to become. That's where you start to get that drive where you're like, okay, yeah, anything is possible. Not just anything, but I know somebody who's done it. I've seen it. I've been inside the store. I touched and felt, and I understand that. And I think that's very, very important in our communities to see, you know, um, because if not, you know, I've been telling people for a long time, if you can see a thing, you can be a thing. And when you don't have that perspective, it's lost on you. Yep. You don't know what you don't know. Since we are hospitality design, I should ask about the design of your space because that is very important. Um, and I know that was a big 
a, a big part of reinventing what, you know, the barbershop is, what this whole experience was going to be. And you partnered with Snarkitecture. So let's start with why Snarkitecture and then what did you want them to create? How did you translate your vision to them? Um, you know, plain and simple, we wanted to, uh, I need to be the slab, right? I'm not a barber. I'm not a barista. I don't know how to make cocktails. I don't even drink cocktails, right? <laughs> like, I'm like a, you know, a Jameson straight type of guy. Um, and I can't dress. Like, I'm, you know, I'm like a sweatsuit, you know, like, so none of what's going on in this space are necessarily my, you know, like my forte, right? But I knew that as a new brand, right? So we like we built this to scale. I didn't buy it, I didn't build it to have one. And I'm excuse me, I'm like, if we if we're gonna make a splash, it's gonna be through design. And if we're going to impact people in the way that they feel, it's gotta be luxury. And um, you know, I looked at what they did with their art installations, I looked at what they did with Kith and you know, and, and, and even looking at a kiss, you know, it's like that is a destination type retail space, you know, where no matter where you're from, what you're doing, whether you are a sneakerhead or not, it's like you heard about this space, you got to stop through, you know. And I think that's where the name and, and, and some of, you know, some of what I kind of fell in love with their how they design is, you know, is I wanted none of this stuff on its own is special. So I wanted to make sure that we accomplished this idea of, Hey, I want to walk in there and feel something. And that comes through design. Like, yeah. you know, right. You, and then once you get in, you get the substance, but on the face, it's like, it's got to look good. And nothing in, in this city was missing that, right? You get a lot of stuff that pops up, fizzles in, fizzles out. And, but nothing in this city was built with integrity in mind, it's a lot of business that are built, you know, from an opportunity and a solution. And unless how, how, we, how do we pop it up really fast and get some money, you know? And so, um, architecture was, was the only call. Um, and they said no <laughs> twice. <laughs> um, and so, uh, we looked at another local designer here. They gave us some designs. But it wasn't, it was, you know, it wasn't hitting. It wasn't, like, special. And so um, we randomly got an email back from, from Snark. It was like, hey, you still doing that barbershop thing? Uh, you know, some of the partners want to hear more about it. I'm like, I'm on my way. So I got on an Amtrak the next day, went and met, met Alex. Um, and you know, and you know, passionately, like I am right now, said this is why this is needed, and this is why y'all should do it. You know, I'm I'm saying all the things that I'm saying to Alex, you know, that I'm, to, that I'm saying to you to Alex, like this is why this needs to be done. You know, black businesses need a highlight. You know, it's it, it would be amazing for a firm like you guys as well, renowned to work with a nobody who just has. A, you know, a dream and a vision. And, um, you know, we got on a napkin and some paper that day. And, you know, the first hurdle was was coming up with a budget. Um, and then the second hurdle was 
um, fighting them on on design. <laughs> it's like I know y'all are designers, but it's like you know I have a vision here, and you know that was um, that was pretty interesting. But um, that's what I've experienced. I've, I've had dealings with architects in the past, like helping clients build houses and different things. So that's how architects are. But you gotta, you gotta push it. You gotta push it. And, you know, in the last, the very last straw, the last card that you pull, and I've never had to pull it is, uh, I'm paying you. <laughs> this is my vision. I am, I am a client. Let's not forget here. Yes, you may be an expert, but I am a client. So we, I never had to pull that card, but, um, one of the biggest uh, fights was the window. Uh, they wanted the barbershop to be in the back and or on the second floor. And I'm like, there's no more conversation unless the barbershop is in the front. <laughs> and it comes from, and again, everything that we did here, and I could point to a reference point of my life, of an experience that led, not like a Oh, I saw it somewhere. It was like, no, when I saw it, this is how I felt. And I can remember the feeling. And so that's where I was. Anytime I was, you know, kind of, uh, it had any pushback. I won because I gave them context of not just, no, this is where I want it. No, I want people to feel something. I don't want them to just look and awe and take pictures. I want them to have a takeaway, a real out-of-body experience. I want them to have a memory and a moment because of these specific designs, these specific decisions, right? When I sat down and I said, hey, what's going to separate us from a regular barbershop? It's not just the barber, right? Right. Because the best barber in the world is, is subjective. You know what I mean? But the best-looking barbershop in the world is not subjective. We are that. <laughs> we have accomplished that. Um, that's not subjective, right? And so that's where it was like, what are we going to be known as? And what's going to get, like, what's the trap, right? What's going to set the trap so that people come in and it's like, oh, shit, okay. I didn't know I even needed this today. But thank you for providing it. And that's where, you know, that's where not taking no for an answer, you know, another lesson of not taking no for an answer. You mentioned before that everything had like a memory or was linked back to something. Can you give us one example? The window. I mean, I, there was a time when I was going back and forth to New York on the train and I would go to Union Station quite often um, and I would get my shoes shined um, and, and the gentleman, he would have been there for years, but uh, and now, you know, all the stories he told me and he, you know, how he used to be a business owner and, 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 but with that trip, there's a store called, um, oh, what is it called? Oh, man. Art of Shaving. Mm-hmm. The art of Shaving, no matter what I was doing, how fast I was going, how late I was, when you walk past that window with that barber chair in it, and somebody was actually getting cut, you paused for a second. And that ritual is seeing that art in progress through 
that we I mean I guess we can say we stole that like I'm you know it's not that that is that direct influence of why we have the chairs in the window direct influence and it's not and it wasn't just because oh I think that looks cool no it literally will stop you in your tracks <laughs> and you will if you have time you will back up and say this is interesting let me stop in here right what I think again culturally and they probably weren't able to execute and you know a lot of those places closed down is you know how useful are barber products and how often do i need them you know um, after shave or bump cream or whatever lasts me six months you know what i'm saying and because they only have one care they never actually you know, like the barber shop component never became a community focus, you know what I mean? It never became the hub. It was more about selling the products. And so that was the direct influence for the window was I want people to, a, bar, a haircut is universal language, right? So no matter what your demographic, you understand what's going on in this window. True. And whether you're young or old, you understand that that looks different than where I get my haircut. <laughs> that looks special. Yep. I also love how downstairs is super warm and inviting and light and bright, which you don't always associate with a barbershop again, like you reinventing the dialogue there. And then upstairs or through that cool door up the stairs to the speakeasy, it's very kind of more moody and dark, but they still speak to each other. And that was very intentional, right? Very, very intentional. Um, the goal was to you know, have a day and a night, right? And that, and, um, and also you didn't want, I think it can become redundant when you're in the same space doing different activities, you don't get the same feeling, mm-hmm. right? And that's a, that is a, um, that is a, the, that, that influence comes from hotels, right? Where you go to a lobby, you get a feel. The spa is totally different. The concierge lounge is different. The restaurant is different. The rooftop is different. Parking, the the pool is different, right? It's yep. because these are all different times, different memories, different moments that I can create. And it's not just one blanket space. Love to continue the conversation, but for sake of time, um, we always end the podcast by asking the title of the podcast. So what has been your greatest lesson or lessons learned along the way? Ask for help. Ask for help. I mean, you know, 100% of zero is zero. What you don't know, you don't know. And I think you got to be vulnerable. You got to put yourself in vulnerable positions. You have to... um, yeah, you, you got to lay it. You got to lay it on the line and you got to ask people for help in areas that, you know, you may know nothing about. Um, I think trying to create things in a vacuum is, 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 is what a lot of people do. And, and that's why there's a lot of businesses and, and, and experiences that are modelists. And I think the more people you talk to, the better. And I think, um, you know, I think the second lesson is eat out. <laughs> you know, I think your kitchen table is amazing, but I think your kitchen table is some of the, is a place where you go to share some of the things that you guys have all learned on your path. 
but it's important for you to fill yourself up somewhere. Right. right? And I think that's where a good night's hotel stay and, you know, sitting and having breakfast in the lounge or, you know, having coffee at a, at a diner or engaging, you know, the, 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 the Halel guy or the, the shoe shiner or the manicurist or the barber. Um, you wouldn't automatically assume that those industries are hospitality driven, but, you know, for 12 and a half, 13 years, we provided services to entrepreneurs, I mean, to, to, to celebrities and, and athletes and, and musicians. And that was hospitality. I mean, yeah. I think anytime you are approaching, you know, palms up saying, how can I be of service? That is my idea of hospitality. And so I think it's the most powerful industry in the world. I think that, um, there's journeys and there's life experiences that you learn, you know, over pasta and you just got to be open to it. You got to ask some good questions and make sure you tip well. That's it. <laughs> yep. I love it. Kind of going back to the basics, right? What hospitality really is. Absolutely. Well, thank you for spending this last hour with me. I really appreciate it and can't wait to see the next manifest open. Um, so thank you. Really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Hospitality Designs, What I've Learned. If you like what you've heard, subscribe and review us on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find full episodes and transcripts at hospitalitydesign.com.